We're going to be focusing on Galatians 5, 16 to 26, and you can find that on page 826 of your Pew Bibles. And in this passage, Paul is contrasting the acts of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit and continues the theme about the fact that we're not under law, but we're under grace. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, John. So as John alluded to, that we're, we've been walking through the letter of Galatians, and so the Apostle Paul had written to a network of churches in a region called Galatia, and, and it was his heart that they would begin to understand this gospel of grace more fully than what he had found out that they were understanding it. And so the idea behind that is that we don't have to earn our place with God that through our actions, which is a temptation of ours often, that we would earn our place with God through what we do, how we behave. And Paul really wants to, to put the point home that It's through Christ's action that we are saved. It's through Christ's action that we earn our place with God. And so we're learning that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So Jesus plus our own action of being good, of being worthy, equals nothing. And Paul says you're adding to the gospel, and you can't add to the gospel. But Jesus plus nothing, if it's Jesus alone and his action alone that we trust in, that's everything. Some Christians would think, but if we don't have the law to teach us between right and wrong, if we don't have a certain set of rules, uh, a list of do's and don'ts at least, how on earth would we ever live in a way that was pleasing to God? How would we really change? What does it look like to, to be a Christian? How do we live it 
if we don't have a list of what to do and what not to do. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord, we humbly come before your word. We call the Bible your word because we believe that it can be your voice for us today. But as we look at the words here, that it ceases to become just an ancient text book, a collection of ancient texts, but it becomes our our ability to actually hear what you have to communicate to us this morning. And we believe that it's enlivened in that way by your Spirit. And so would you, by your Spirit, allow us to see clearly the things that you have for us this morning in this letter from Paul to the churches in Galatia. And so we submit ourselves to you again. We humble ourselves before you. We want to be instructed by you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher as you always are? Would you be our teacher again this morning? We pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love watching hockey, but even more than watching hockey, I love playing hockey. And uh, the season's done. That's a little sad. So I feel I haven't started playing tennis yet, so I feel a bit lost. But we had this game, one of our last games, and it was pretty intense and I was racing for a puck. I played defense. And so if you can picture, uh, I was racing for a puck coming back into our own end zone. And I'm, I'm racing against one of their forwards. And he's beating me. You see, I turned 40, and I'm feeling a lot slower than I used to be. And this guy probably was about 21 years old. And he's beating me to the puck. And so I, I'm getting a little bit behind him. And when you turn 40 in this league, you start hooking a little bit more. And so... <laughs> So I'm hooking him a little, just a little bit. I knew I could get away with it. And he starts grabbing my stick like this, right? He grabs my stick. And so I'm like, I'm like, like this to the ref. I'm like, he's, clearly he's grabbing my stick. Now holding the stick in hockey is a penalty. It's a two-minute penalty. And so I'm looking at the ref as he's holding my stick. And the ref's not calling him. There's no arm going up. So then I start getting frustrated. And I start kind of losing my temper. So I, I chase him into the boards and I give him a good hit in the boards. Well, there's no contact in this league. And, um, and then I start pinning him up against the boards and we get into a little tussle and, uh, and I'm not really angry at the guy. What I'm really start becoming angry at is that the ref didn't call the penalty of holding the stick. And so then the ref's arm goes up and he says, contact and holding two minutes. And he points at me. So I start skating to the bench. Now, listen, this is confessions of a pastor on a Sunday morning. I start skating towards the sin bin, as they call it. And I start yelling at the ref. I'm not proud of it, but I start yelling at him. And I actually go overboard. And I start saying, you're an idiot. Like I'm calling the ref an idiot, right? And, uh, and you see, there's, there's one of our fans that's a wife of one of the hockey players. She's absolutely loving this. She grew up as a Catholic, and she prays before every game that I might get a penalty or get in a fight. Because... <laughs> Because she thinks it's hilarious that a pastor would do something like that. And so there I am. I'm sitting in the sin bin, and I have time to, to think about what, what I've done. And, uh, and I just start thinking, oh, I, I start feeling a little bit embarrassed and a little bit ashamed. And I think, why can't, 
why does hockey bring the worst out in me? Why can't I get a hold of these things, this, this flash anger, this flash of anger? And, and, and then I think, you know, if I really thought about this passage and the list that Paul gives, you know, we as Christians, we could say, well, at least we're not those things. A lot of times we look at Paul's list and it, sa- it actually says fits of rage. And when I think of fits of rage, that, that looks like somebody completely flying off the handle and like murdering somebody. But actually, if you look at the Greek, it just says outbursts of anger. And we look at fits of rage and we think, oh, good, that's not me. But you look at what Paul was really saying, and I'm realizing that's me. And I think to myself, as I'm sitting in the sin bin, why can't I get a hold of this area in my life? Why can't I c- get control of this certain area? And I want to ask you this morning, what, what areas of, of, in your life have you asked that about yourself? Why can't I get control of this area in my life? Why is my temper so hot? Why can't I say no to that extra drink? Why, why am I jealous? Why am I so short on patience? Why can't I get control of this area? As we look at Galatians 5, 16 to 26 together this morning, we find some incredibly good news because I think we can get to the point as Christians when we think to ourselves, will I ever change? Am I even changing? And the good news this morning is that you can change, and in fact, you are changing. And Paul says that because the Spirit of God transforms our lives, we must keep in step with Him. Because the Spirit of God transforms our lives, we must keep in step with the Spirit. And how does the Spirit transform us? Firstly, the Spirit transforms our craving. We find that in verses 16 to 21 and verse 24. In verse 16, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word there, desires, actually means over-desire. It usually means, it, it actually doesn't mean desiring the things that we, f- we think are super sinful. That's usually not our problem. It's usually not our issue. It's over-desiring good things. God made these things good, and it's an over-desire of those good things that gets us in trouble. And so we are born into this desire of the flesh. Paul means by flesh, this is a metaphor. He, he doesn't mean our physical bodies literally. He means the sinful nature at the fall when sin entered the world we all inherited a sin nature. And that sin nature desires, it craves things that go against what God wants for us. And he says that each of us craves things that are contrary to the Spirit. There's a battle. Earlier in this letter, Paul makes it very clear when we put our faith in Jesus that we receive the Holy Spirit. Every Christian, some Christian groups make it about if they can't see certain gifts in your life, then they question, do you have the Holy Spirit or not? That's what Paul's very clear, actually, in Galatians, that as soon as you say yes to Jesus, that God gives you the Holy Spirit. But that, for the Christian, then becomes a battleground. So we have this nature that Paul calls the flesh that craves things that God doesn't want for us, and now we have the Spirit of God in our lives that is craving the things of God and and creating cravings in us for the things of God and what God wants for us. So there's this battle. I think about this battle when I think about it. I think of the Simpsons. 
And uh, Homer Simpson often had like an angel and a an angel and a devil on his shoulders. You can imagine that in cartoons, right? An angel and a devil on his shoulders. And usually in The Simpsons, the devil won all the time. In fact, in one episode, the devil threw you know his three pointed spear and killed the angel, and and the poor angel died. And I think as Christians, sometimes we think our life is like that, and we often think that the devil is winning. The little devil is winning in our life. And Paul wants to make it very clear that this, there's, there's no competition here, actually. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, these are not two equal opposing powers. When the Spirit of God comes into your life, the Spirit of God will always win. The Spirit of God is always more powerful. And so that's why he says we have to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, Paul in verse 24 says that we've crucified the flesh. And I think the reality of what Paul is communicating here is that the flesh has been mortally wounded. It's dying. And one day, it will be completely dead. We won't have to have, have this battle any longer. But it's, it's been wounded. This desire for things against God, it's been wounded when we say yes to Jesus. And the Spirit of God comes into our life and becomes a more powerful influence in our life. So we need to see it that way. We need to, if you're a Christian this morning and you felt like that devil is getting the best of me all the time, I want you to know this morning that the Spirit of God is more powerful than that voice in your life. And there's two ways that the Spirit transforms our craving. He transforms our craving for law and he transforms our craving for license. By law, we've been learning about that. By law, we mean that we can earn back our favor with God. We think we've lost it. And by good behavior, by following these rules and regulations, we can earn back God's favor on us. But we also have a craving for license. And if you're really honest with yourself, you know that you crave things that are against God's will for you. But first, our craving for law. In verse 18, Paul says that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, our flesh still desires the law. That seems weird, because I think we think of the flesh as desiring sinful things. But actually, our flesh desires the law. And the churches I grew up in, when we got baptized, and maybe you remember, some of you remember this if you grew up as a Christian too. When we got baptized, we had to sign, it might have been called a covenant, I'm not sure, but it was an agreement that we would behave certain ways as a Christian. So when I got baptized, I had to sign an agreement that I wouldn't smoke or I wouldn't drink there's behaviors that I had to abide by. Before that, you weren't allowed to play with playing cards. Does anybody remember, remember that? You weren't allowed to go to the movies even before that. So there's a list of things as a Christian that you, you uh, weren't supposed to do. We have a craving to manage our spirituality by controlling our behavior with rules and regulations. And what Paul is saying here actually in chapter 5 flies in the face of it. And it's actually offensive to people who want to control their behavior that way. Paul is saying, forget the set of rules that you think you can control your behavior with. You have to walk with the Spirit. That's the only way true change is going to happen. What? As a parent, I'm thinking, what? I'm supposed to throw rules out the window for my kids and just teach them to listen to the Spirit? Essentially, that is what Paul is saying. We need to walk with the Spirit. We, we don't manage our behavior through a set of do's and don'ts. And this is how our flesh craves the law. 
So that little devil on our shoulder whispers in our ear, you messed up again. You're terrible. You better try harder next time. Now you're a bad Christian because you did that or you said that. And then our flesh begins to crave the law so that we can make ourselves feel okay again by behaving our way out of our bad behavior. On the other side, the flesh craves the the law. On the other side of the coin, it's it's the same coin, but just the flip side. And and that the other hand, the flesh whispers to us, at least you're not like that person. Or you're you're a much better Christian. We would never say that. But this little voice, at least you're a better Christian than they are. Uh, Look at what you've done through good behavior. You become a good Christian because you don't smoke or drink or or chew or go with girls who do. If you were a Southern Baptist, that's what you would quote to yourselves. When we walk by the Spirit, we don't crave Christian rules anymore because the Spirit changes our hearts to desire what God desires. We don't need to follow these rules because we feel guilty or to make others think we come to church and we want other Christians to think that we're good Christians and so we follow the rules. Paul is saying, that's not what the Christian life is about. If you're following rules because you want to get out of your feeling of guilt, if you're following these rules because you want other Christians to think that you're a good Christian, you've missed the point completely. That the life is actually about living as we walk with the Spirit. Because law is outside in. The law, Paul would admit that the law can create behavioral change. The Pharisees lived out the law for the most part. And so the law can create behavioral change, but it's an outside in change. Paul's saying it'll never change your heart. But the Spirit of God brings an inside out change. Starts with your heart, starts with your desires, and then your behavior changes. It's a very important distinction. So firstly, our craving for law. Secondly, under point B, our craving for license. In verses 19 to 21, we also find that our flesh has a craving for license. What do I mean by license? License means that you have permission. You want to create permission for yourself to do anything you want. That voice on our shoulder not only wants us to earn our standing with God, but but that voice in the same breath wants us to do things that we know aren't godly. There's a voice that says, don't let them tell you what to do. Don't let them tell you what to think. There's a voice that says, you have every right to feel this way. You have every right to fly off the handle. Look what they did to you. My parents' neighbor's pool in spring it just becomes, who owns a pool here? Anybody owns a pool, an outdoor pool? It becomes kind of by spring, you have rotten leaves in it. There's green algae growing. It's gross. If you haven't paid attention to it all season, it's kind of a gross cesspool of, of grossness. And so by spring, it's nasty. You wouldn't want to swim in that thing. And in springtime, you have to, to pump that thing out. You got to get rid of all the leaves. It's actually quite a bit of work. There's people often after the kids are grown and they want to get rid of the pool, actually, because it's so much work. That's what I hear from people. A pool in springtime is a ton of work. And sometimes I think we think of our lives this way. We think that our lives start getting built up with muck and junk and we allow the world to influence us in ways and, 
And then if we just spend time to work really hard, we get a good weekend of work, we can clean up our life again and make ourselves feel good for a short little while. And Paul is saying that you'll always go through that cycle in life. You're always going to go through that cycle. It's going to get more and more algae. You're going to work hard to clean it up. And that will only last for a short while. And then there's going to be more leaves and algae. And it's just going to be constant work. But Paul says what we need is a Holy Spirit filter on our pool. And that Holy Spirit filter is going to keep that thing clean for us. In fact, as a Holy Spirit filter, we're filtering all our thoughts in our life. We're filtering our behavior. We're filtering our potential decisions that we're going to make through the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit's power that is going to keep our lives the way God wants our life. And some of you might feel this morning that your life has gotten to a place where will I ever change? Maybe you've gotten to the place where you're like, there's stuff in my life that I know I'm ashamed of, and I don't know how to get rid of it. I've tried different things, and it's not getting cleaned up. I keep trying over and over these behavioral pattern changes, and, it's, and I keep falling back into the same patterns. There's green algae growing on my life, and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I want to tell you this morning, this is the good news of the gospel, that this morning again, if you just come to Jesus... And you say, will you clean me again? You can be fresh and clean right now, instantaneously. But now you give your life to the Spirit and you keep in step with the Spirit and He becomes the filter on your life. So I want to tell you this morning that you can have a fresh start this morning, right now. You say, Jesus, I need a fresh start this morning, right now. And He will give it to you. That's the grace of the gospel. And now to live that out, we need a Holy Spirit filter. We need to keep in step with the Spirit and say, okay, Spirit, what do you desire? Will you give me new desires in my heart? So craving for law, craving for license. The Spirit transforms our life. So we must keep in step with the Spirit. Secondly, the Spirit transforms our character Verses 22 to 23 are really the major point of this passage. Paul changes the language. In verse 19, he says, these are the acts of the flesh. But here, in verses 22 and 23, he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Changes from acts to fruit. And that's the difference between flesh. That's the difference, actually, between law and the Spirit. The law is about acts, about what we do. And the Spirit is about what He produces in us. And so the fruit of the Spirit is what the, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our work. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, we, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from who? The Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that is actually transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And that's what this list is in 22 and 23. It's the likeness of Christ. Now, this list isn't meant to be exhaustive, and neither is the list of sins earlier. So this list is meant to be examples of what it looks like when your life looks like Christ. And so Paul is promising, actually, that 
as we walk with the Spirit, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. A couple years ago, Dave Froze planted some nectarines behind our place. And for, I think, two years, he can correct me if I'm wrong, for two years, they watered, they fertilized, they pruned, they tilled the ground, they mowed the grass. For two years, they didn't harvest these trees. It's a lot of work. Is that right, Dave? It's about two years. Two, yeah? Two years, you don't pick the fruit. That's a long time for fruit. I have these apricot trees in my backyard. I don't know why I stumbled over apricot. That's not a hard word to say. I have apricot trees in my backyard. If I went outside, they have tiny little apricots on them, right? I could go outside for several hours and stare at the apricots and try to see if they're growing. And I would come back inside at the end of the day thinking, those apricots aren't growing. And I think sometimes as Christians, we look at our life. I want to say this to you this morning. You look at your life... And you think, there's no fruit growing. Is this fruit really growing? And sometimes we need other perspective in our life. We need a second perspective. We need other people to look in our life and be able to say, I do see fruit. Remember how you used to be? Look at how you are now. Every time we have visitors over who haven't seen our kids for a long time, what do they say to the kids? Wow, you've grown so much. Listen, I've seen my kids every day. I don't think they're growing as fast as these people say they are. My, you've grown so much. We live in a world where you can drive through McDonald's and get an instant hamburger. We're impatient people. We think and we hope and we feel that we would have all the fruit of the Spirit all of the time instantaneously, and it's not how fruit grows. Fruit, grow, fruit takes time. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're frustrated with the way your life has been going and what it looks like and why you can't get control of these certain th- things, I just want to encourage you with the fact that fruit takes time time. This is slow work. This is patient work. This isn't fast food. Sometimes when I was younger, I thought this work was my work. So I would look at, I would work on patience for a while and work really hard at patience. And then I feel like I got patience under control. And so I'd move on to joy And I worked really hard at joy for a while, and then I realized that I was getting impatient with my joy. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how hard you work at these things because it's not something we produce. A a, a former pastor of mine, when he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he would say, a tree doesn't go like this. And then out comes a fruit. A tree just produces fruit because its roots are in the ground, and its leaves are at the sun. It's positioned itself. When it's positioned in the right spot, when, it, when you are walking with the Spirit, the fruit, wi- the, the fruit will grow. It just takes time. So I want to encourage you with that. Be patient. On a, on a real fruit tree or a vine, what is fruit for? This is a bit of a tangent, but I want to go here. What is the fruit for? This is, can be interactive now. It's interactive it's nourishment for us. We eat it. What seed? A fruit is for reproduction. The fruit, when it's early formed, it's, it's sour and it's hard. It's unappealing because it's protecting the seed that's inside of it. 
Because the seed's not ready to reproduce yet. When the seed is ready to reproduce, the fruit ripens, it gets soft, it gets sweet, and it becomes appealing for humans, of course, for mammals and birds. The fruit in our lives that the Spirit wants to produce takes time because the seeds of the gospel have been planted in our hearts. But the fruit that Paul is describing here, the purpose of the fruit is always for reproduction. The seeds of the gospel have been planted. The spirit begins to grow fruit in our lives so that it becomes attractive to other people. And when people come close to our lives, we allow people into our lives and they start saying, wow, why do you have patience through this? Or, or why do you still have faith? Why are you still being faithful to God even though this happened in your life? They become interested and the seed of the gospel can begin to spread elsewhere. Now, sometimes when we're impatient with the fruit developing in our lives, we start pasting on plastic pieces of fruit, right? Here's a little bit of patience today. Hey, I worked hard at that one. Look, everybody, I'm patient. And then that works for a time if you keep people distant from you. You can fool people as long as they don't come too close. As soon as they come close to your life, as soon as you allow people close to your life and you've been pasting fake fruit on your life, they're like, ooh, that doesn't taste very good. That's gross. So the challenge for us is to stop pasting fruit. That's a work of the law. That's when we begin to crave the law again. We want to start pasting fruit on our life. The Spirit is producing fruit in you as you keep in step with the Spirit. My dad noticed cherry trees along the canal as he was driving. He wondered, why are there cherry trees on the canal? That's weird. There's like sweet cherries. He remembers the boy. He grew up on Bunting Road there, and that used to be all orchards. There used to be no houses there. And the birds would come and eat cherries and then go steal them and take them over to the other side of the road and eat them in the trees there. And now there's cherry trees that are still nourishing birds there and growing new cherry trees. The orchards are long gone, and yet the fruit is still growing. That's what the Holy Spirit actually wants from our lives. When we're long gone, that the people who have come and tasted the fruit of the Spirit from our lives, that he's going to produce the gospel in them too, and it's going to reproduce. So the fruit of the Spirit is always about reproduction. But it's not our work. We need to stop pasting plastic bananas on our arms. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit transforms our cravings. The Spirit transforms our character. When He transforms our cravings and our character, then He wants to transform our community. Take a look at verses 25 to 26. In the end of this little passage here, when in verse 25, Paul uses plural language. He's speaking to the whole church. He's speaking to the network of house churches. He's speaking to the community, actually. And the whole point of transforming our personal cravings, the whole point of, of our transforming uh, our character is so that as a whole, as a church, we are going to be transformed. Because reproduction is actually, do you know what our mission is? Our mission is that we would glorify God by making disciples. And that's what the Spirit wants to do through Cornerstone. And so as we allow the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, 
as we allow him to produce fruit in our own lives, as we collectively produce fruit together, he's going to plant the seeds of the gospel in other people's lives. And that's what the purpose of this is. The problem is, is that with the Galatian church, they were fighting all the time. The surefire way to know if your church is not really keeping in step with the spirit, but walking by the flesh, is if there's lots of fighting going on. If there's lots of arguing, if there's factions, if there's dissensions, and the like, Paul says. And so, a healthy church is going to be a church that's reproducing. A healthy church is a church that's bearing fruit, and it's a church that's planting seeds. Let me tell you about Queenie and Lacey. Queenie and Lacey are our chickens. Queenie, we had six chickens Queenie was the last one. She's very lonely. The other five died. The first one to die was my chicken. I called it KFC. It was fitting that it died first. Uh, We didn't eat it, just to be clear. Uh, But Queenie was the last one of our original six. And I think she was lonely. And she was getting old. And she wasn't laying any eggs. We introduced a new chicken, Lacey, a really skittish white chicken. She runs around. She's really scared all the time. And when we introduced this chicken to Queenie's pen, uh, they fought. Queenie was not happy. And they were like, they did not like each other. And then they were mad at each other. And neither of them were laying eggs until they learned to get along. And they established their pecking order. And once they started getting along, they both started producing eggs. And Queenie started producing more eggs than she ever did alone. Isn't that interesting? To me, this is what the picture of community happens. When we allow the Spirit of God to transform our lives, when there's real life happening in you and not in me at this point, it actually starts to rub off on me. That that as we begin to walk with the Spirit as individuals, together as a community, that actually begins to influence one another and we begin to produce as a community what God really wants. The Spirit of God is infectious. His joy spreads. His peace spreads. When we're full of patience, it rubs off on one another. Have you ever hung out with somebody and they're so kind? Like, it doesn't make you sick they're so kind, not that kind of kindness. But they're so kind that you're inspired by it. There are people like that in my life, even in this congregation, that when I hang out with them, I'm like, Wow, I want to be more like that. That's how the Spirit of God then works in the community as well. The Spirit of God with the fruit of the Spirit is infectious. It rubs off on one another. In, in moments of raw honesty, we all want transformation in our lives. And if it was just you and me sitting at a coffee table, you would be able to admit to me, yeah, Matt, there are some things in my life that I wish it would change, and I don't know why they're not changing. And it's frustrating sometimes. We wish we didn't drink as much or eat as much. That's mine. My sin is gluttony. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm a foodie. We wish we didn't eat as much. We wish we didn't lust so much. We, we wish we didn't struggle with jealousy like we do, or some of us wish we weren't so quick to anger, especially in the hockey rink. 
or, or so quick to judge people. Some of us wish that the fruit of our lives was more evident in areas. We wish we were more patient. We wish we had more joy, more self-control. We want to become more Christ-like and wish we could change our attitudes and behaviors. Paul tells us that it's the Spirit of God that transforms our lives. And if we keep in step with him, he transforms our cravings. He transforms the craving that we have for legalism, to trying to earn our right standing with God. He also changes our, our cravings for, for things that aren't on the heart of God that actually lead to unhealth in our lives. He transforms our character, and he makes us more like Christ. That is a promise that we're given this morning, that he is transforming our character, and he will transform our community. So how do we walk with spirit? What does that actually look like, Matt? What does it look like when Paul says, keep in step with the spirit? This, I want to just rewind to verse 16 again, where he says the word walk. And that walk is, that word is very important to Paul. He uses it elsewhere many times throughout his different letters. And it's not a literal walking, of course. The, walk, his, the word walk here means a way of life. You've heard that saying, a walk of life. And what Paul is saying is that we have been given life by the Spirit. Now we have to make the Spirit a way of life. That we start organizing our life around the things of the Spirit. We start, we start scheduling our life in a way that makes room for us to hear the voice of the Spirit. We start, we start making important the things that teach us how to hear the voice of the Spirit. We start putting a priority on those things. We organize our life around the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. It means a walk of life. Walking by the Spirit means to make the Spirit of God a way of life. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you think, like I do sometimes, will I ever change? Will these things about me really change? And the good news that I want to tell you this morning from Paul is that you have changed and you are changing and you will change. Be patient with the process. Give yourself grace because the Lord Jesus is giving you grace. So when you don't see change as fast as you want, be gracious to yourself because if you're not gracious to yourself, you're saying that Jesus' grace for you isn't sufficient. You're saying, I need to punish myself. I need to, because his grace isn't good enough for me. Give yourself grace. And here's why. Because good fruit takes a while and gets sweeter with time. Let's pray together. Lord, more than anything, what I pray for us as a congregation this morning is that the voice of the Spirit would be by and far more clear and more loud than the other voices in our life. That this morning, as we look at these lists that Paul gave the Galatian church, that we wouldn't walk away under condemnation because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But this morning, that we would be freed up to wonder, to be in awe, to be in gratitude that you are in our lives, Holy Spirit, and that you are changing us. Lord, would you help us to be encouragers to each other 
as we look at each other's lives that that we need sometimes outside perspective. Lord, will you give us eyes to see in each other and even to be able to tell one another that we see progress, that, yeah, there is fruit growing, that we would be encouragers to one another. And Holy Spirit, more than anything, will you teach us what it means to center our lives around you, to learn to hear your voice in the little decisions, that you would be the filter on our life, that we would filter all our decisions, all our thoughts, all our actions through you and what you want and what you have for us. On this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we, we give ourselves to you and we say we want to be a Holy Spirit people. We want to walk by your leading. We want to be changed more, to be more like Christ. And Lord, where we are hard on ourselves, where we don't give ourselves grace, where we say that your grace isn't sufficient, we need to punish ourselves, Lord, would you forgive us for that error? Would you clear that from our minds? Would you transform our minds so that we can know and test and approve what your will is for us as your spirit leads us into the future? We thank you for your presence. We worship you for your presence. We pray these things in the name of Jesus for his glory and his name.